This is the FS Tech Podcast. Face of fraud is strangling. Whether you look to the rise of romance scams, purchase scams, or the emergence of new types of crypto and investment fraud, novel strands and variants are emerging almost every day. And with many UK workers still working remotely, cyber criminals are taking advantage of the increased tax surface which a thrift remote working can offer. Though governments and companies have taken steps to stem the growth of fraud, including the introduction of confirmation to payee, these steps haven't been enough to impede its growth. As part of the efforts to stop fraud, companies are turning towards data analytics, learning a combination of data from different sources, as well as leveraging the power of AI and machine learning to pick up on suspicious activity. This is helping to inform their efforts as they fight against customer takeover attempts, card fraud, and money mule activity. At the same time, these companies need to balance fraud detection for the owners to keep products simple to use with excellent customer experience on the front end. To discuss these challenges, as well as impossible solutions, FS Tech spoke to Freddie Arthur, fraud strategy leader for Mia and Isaac Demise. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Freddie. Thank you very much, Will. Very nice to be on. Thanks you know, for inviting we're, me. We're always, we always appreciate people taking the time to come on these. So just to kick things off, what do you think are the most dangerous fraud variants that you see, you see plaguing customers in 2022? So I, I work with financial institutions right across Europe, Middle East and Africa, and the fraud challenges will vary um, and they'll be different across different regions. Taking it from a, I guess, from a UK perspective, first of all, we see financial institutions citing a, a variation of fraud trends, but there are, there are certain ones that have come, come to the fore more often than others. And I guess this is very much influenced by the way we've adapted to live our lives far more digitally over the last two years since the, the, the pandemic. So the fraud landscape has evolved very quickly in this time, and it's created a new vulnerability for, for consumers and a perfect broader attack surface for fraudsters. The average digital adoption rate increased here in, in Europe, um, I think pre-pandemic, well, it's gone up from 81% to 94%, as reported by a recent McKinsey report. So that's really represented huge opportunities now for fraudsters to, to capitalize on the, on the change in the way that many of us interact with goods and services. So we've seen a massive uptick in the number of scam victims. And I'd say in, in 2022, we're not going to see scams going away any time quickly. And these are often used to facilitate authorised push payment fraud, APP, which can be notoriously hard to detect using your traditional point solutions because the transactions are authorised by the victim. At face value, they look perfectly legitimate. And this is not just a big challenge in the UK, but also we're hearing about APP affecting other countries. And it's often very much proportionate with the market size in terms of scale and sophistication. In the UK, APP fraud overtook card fraud as having the highest incidence rate um, for the first time last year. I believe that was reported by UK Finance. And I believe we saw around 350 million plus, which was lost to APP in H1 alone. The other challenge we have is 
as well, it's been it's been hard to detect, but it, it, it comes in different guises. So scams take different guises. So whether that's high in volume, low value, broader demographic, you know, we, we all are used to those SMS text messages that we get about a missed parcel delivery, that small fee we have to pay ahead of re-delivery, having to enter our details in for, to, to, to organize a re-delivery, including our, our phone number, our email address, our bank details, only to get hit again by the fraudster using those victims' contact details, such as phone number, to ring them up and convince them that their bank account has been compromised and to move their, their funds to a safer account. So you've got scams like that to the ones which are, are longer running, for example, romance scams or, or investment scams. I've heard a lot about cryptocurrency scams being a big challenge that financial institutions are increasingly worried about. They're becoming increasingly popular. We see adverts all over social media the whole time. The rewards for that type of investment far outstrip many other investments. And there's a lack of regulation that makes it very hard to clamp down on. And there are all sorts of other scams, which we don't have time to go into detail today. But if I move on to other types of fraud challenges that certainly we've seen the last part of 2021, but going into 2022, impersonation fraud picked up um, the end of last year, middle of last year largely due to the amount of personally identifiable information available, which has been harvested over the lockdown periods. And that's data stolen via scams, data breaches, um, via social engineering, scraped from social media sites and so forth. And we've seen emerging challenges as we go into 2022. So those similar to um, a deep fake synthetic identity fraud where You've got the development of AI to impersonate consumers very realistically um, using voices and, and, and their faces. Fraudsters are really able to leverage compromised identity data to bypass those verification controls. And it makes detection and prevention requiring really a multi-layered strategy involving not just capturing those identity data or documents, but more broader digital data points and behavioral data to complement identity controls. And then that brings in machine learning and AI to analyze interactions. And I guess a couple of other points as well, we've got buy now, pay later, which has become huge over the last 12 months or so. And that gives fraudsters an ample opportunity to, to capitalize on the growth of alternative lenders, embedding themselves in, in that customer journey, offering fast and easy credit, very attractive to consumers. They're able to attract millions of customers, but they're not necessarily equipped with the right identity and fraud protection controls in place across those websites or apps. And then finally, we've seen an explosion of digital wallets and super apps, allowing consumers to make transactions and store funds with them via alternative means. So Google Pay, Samsung Pay, those types of channels, they're well embedded. But we've got super apps like, um, and, and this is particularly prevalent in Asia, but I see this coming more over to this region as well. But WeChat, Alipay, they're different payment channels and products that they, they're poised to disrupt traditional banking and payment services. They have fewer infrastructure requirements. They have lower transaction fees. They're very attractive, but they don't always have the same level of robust fraud controls as regulated financial institutions. Yeah, it really seems like we're entering a, a golden age almost of fraud. I mean, a lot of these Types of fraud exist before the pandemic, such as romance fraud, but it, it seems that they're not just becoming more dangerous, but the sheer diversity of fraud is, is, has really expanded. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the challenge that 
institutions have is that, as I mentioned earlier, we are all digitally active online. We, we don't necessarily, we've changed our behavior sizably. We all have so much data that's available, whether it's on the dark web or other forums, where, which can be used by fraudsters to, to scam us. You know, this takes many different forms. So it is a big challenge. Um, that's something I think that isn't quite the appropriate level of awareness about it. There's, there's a huge amount of data about everyone on the internet and on the dark web, and you don't need to be some type of fraud genius to find someone's mobile number or their address or their email or their headshot from 2011. Yeah. Uh, this stuff is all available to some of a basic level of IT knowledge. It, it is. And, and we, we, we engage online for products and services as part of every day, our primary contact details have often become our email and our, our mobile phone number alongside our PII. Well, for me, it's about optimum fraud management. It's about leveraging the customer data, the different fraud signals, be it identity, dark web, email, mobile, uh, device, IP, biometric behavior. I could go on into a single end-to-end fraud management platform where you're far better able to to risk profile uh, the customers throughout the customer journey from the point they apply to the point they update their customer details, make transactions, go through authentications. It's all contributing to a much richer profile of that customer. And then to be able to use that better to uh, understand where there's any deviation from the norm uh, and that's where adaptive machine learning and, and analytics come into, into play. So, Freddie, I think you've done an excellent job of outlying the, the vast ocean of data which uh, companies need to look at to, to weed out fraud and weed out scams. But could you talk a little bit more about the role which you see machine learning and AI have in spotting this anomalous behavior and which can indicate fraud? I mean, machine learning and AI have been have been buzz themes for for in the early days for, for for a while, often without people truly understanding what they can actually deliver. Uh, and we've seen a massive value in what these technologies bring in terms of improving fraud detection rates, but also from a operational efficiency perspective, really allowing fraud teams to focus on on alerts that really matter and not be swamped by high false positive rates. I remember working with um, technology where you know we'd have rule-based systems which yeah they were they were adaptive you could create new rules you could edit them but they always required frequent review and fine-tuning and often inevitably you know you would need some input to varying degrees of your IT teams this could lead to delays in 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 preventing the fraud once a door is left open then that's when the fraudsters will 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 do the most damage so Machine learning and AI have really helped identify more fraud, higher value detection rates than what traditional systems can detect. And we've seen examples of multi-million pound savings, which machine learning and AI have flagged. But it's ultimately providing that far more cost-efficient fraud platform. So from from my own experience with Actimize, we, we apply machine learning and AI adaptive analytical models right across the customer journey. And it's a combination of you know, the historical data, what does good look like, what's normal behavior, being able to orchestrate a variety of data streams to fuel that fraud intelligence, using the advanced behavioral analytics and machine learning models 
And of course, these would be augmented by dedicated data scientists, but also the collective intelligence from other financial institutions and enabling our, our clients to understand how these models are performing. And that's really key from a governance and explainability uh, perspective. It's hugely rewarding seeing how machine learning and AI can bring value to clients and the returns they're able to realize in a, in a short space of time. R&D is a big focus, um, particularly here at Nice Actimize. We've got over 200 people in our product and R&D functions, including data scientists and analysts. And not only are we able to support those clients in the best-in-class technology and analytics, we're also importantly offering flexibility for them as well. So whilst we develop analytical models, and we've got many years of experience in that, we also give flexibility for them to develop their own models and, and ingest others. Yeah, I think it's it's gone to the point that machine learning and AI is not so much a value added as it is a necessity. I mean, people are talking a lot about the moment about the great resignation. It's difficult to find staff in any industry, in any job role, but particularly when it comes to fraud prevention, there just isn't, there just aren't the amount of experts to cover all the fraud which is appearing. So there needs to, the machine learning needs to come into it because it just simply isn't the human capacity, whether that's coming from uh, the third party or internally within the organization. That's right. The, the challenge we have is fraud teams, um, particularly I've seen since we've, we, we now interact more digitally. So the number of digital interactions has gone right up, but so have the alerts. And, and I've seen graphs where the number of transactions and the alert rate rather haven't been proportionate. So there'll be more alerts rising quicker than the, the, the rate at which transactions are going up. So these teams are swamped by you know a, a high alert rate, many false positives, and the inability to, to get through the alerts quickly enough, but also it's about focusing on what alerts really matter as well. And machine learning and AI have, have vastly helped in reducing the number of alerts based on being able to manage what, what is normal for that customer, but also bringing in other data sources to help inform where there might be a, a fraudulent transactions, transaction compared to what a legitimate transaction looks like. So why do you think humans often represent the weakest link in the chain when it, when it comes to fraud? When it comes to certain types of fraud, such as APP, authorized push payment fraud, it's the victim who's making the payment from their own device for what looks to be a legitimate transaction. And that's why it's really difficult to spot. It doesn't bear the hallmarks of unauthorized fraud, be it the transaction has been made via an unusual device or there's been unusual activity or attempts to circumvent authentication and so forth. It can be very difficult to convince a consumer that, that actually the transaction they're trying to make may be a scam because they have been conditioned or they've been coerced, they've been socially engineered into believing what they believe to be making a, a, a genuine payment on, on, on legitimate grounds. And there are varying degrees of vulnerability to becoming victims of scams and APP as a result of what fraudsters could get their hands on. So again, dark web, mining, social media, getting it directly from the victim via various scams and therefore becoming targets to fraudsters. And it's often the case of people letting their, their guard down as well. It only needs to happen once. And there are swathes of society who never previously transacted digitally or also frequently digitally for, for financial transactions. And fraudsters are really capitalizing on that.
So when it comes to online banking, we're also getting warning signals to check and check again when we're making a transaction to someone new or for a certain transaction amount. When actually, once you've seen that once, you almost start to ignore it as you know exactly what it's going to say. So it's about how can we become more targeted with the messaging that we invoke for transactions rather than applying a common one-size-fits-all. Can we use profiles, for example, for, for a customer developed based on what what their, their typical behavior looks like and how we blend that kind of advanced analytical model with valuable fraud signals like behavioral biometrics, looking at things like how they interact with the online session, whether it's keystrokes, movement across the page, the speed, how they're even holding the device and so forth. And we even hear about other fraud signals like from mobile intelligence, whereby looking at whether that customer is on a on, on the phone call at the time at which they're making that transaction, where they're setting up a new payee and authenticating that transaction, all of these in combination can provide really valuable fraud flags. In isolation, they won't necessarily tell you it's APP fraud, but when it's used together, we've seen really improved fraud detection rates. One example um, we've had is one customer where the, the fraud detection rate went up by 270% representing huge savings and preventing fraud and efficiency gains alike. Exactly, Freddie. Whether you look at social media or you look at the dark web, regardless of how carefully you live your life, there's more data available about you than you might realize. And that's making the idea of a one-size-fits-all fraud solution more and more unobtainable because there's just so much data for cyber criminals to use. And fraud is becoming so much more innovative because of that. So just one thing I wanted to go slightly deeper on is you mentioned customer experience. How, how, how can firms implement anti-fraud protocols without impacting the customer experience on the front end? It's all about delivering a friction right customer journey. And what do I mean by that? It, it's only natural that you might need to invoke a certain level of friction, for example, where a customer presents certain fraud risk indicators where you might want to provide a, a step up or step out process. But you don't want this to impact the, the majority of customers. It has to be very much on the minority of customers because it's a very competitive market. There are plenty of agile or nimble providers out there ready to take their business. And customers have high expectations. They're increasingly discerning when it comes to customer experience. So in an environment where the data, technology, processes, people can often be fairly siloed in financial institutions. We've seen great results from our clients being able to remove these barriers to enable an end-to-end fraud management solution from account opening all the way through to account monitoring, authentication, and transactional fraud monitoring. So it's about allowing the orchestration of data analytics across the end-to-end lifecycle to deliver insights on on that single platform and and, and better inform the real-time fraud risk to be able to deploy earlier fraud mitigation strategies. So preventing fraud is, is difficult in today's rich playground, as you, as you said, but customers have also become accustomed to this incredible level of customer experience, which just wouldn't have been imaginable 20 years ago. Thanks to, thanks to players in the marketplace like Amazon, the expectations are just so much higher on the front end. They're making sure everything is safe on the back end, just uh, 
it's a difficult challenge. It is a big, it is a big challenge. Um, and I think that's where some of the issues around data silos and the need to spot fraud indicators comes in. The challenge is you've got, you know, a lot of financial institutions will have multiple point solutions used by loads of different teams and processes across that particular organization. We've seen financial institutions use up to 20 different point solutions merely for new account opening. And that's deployed across multiple different lines of business and for a wide number of fraud scenarios and process steps. So that's not at all efficient. You find yourself drowning in data from a variety of APIs, multiple fraud flags that often turn out to be false positives and missing the alerts that really matter. So you'll have various fraud teams that are using different systems for account opening, authentication, transactional, and so forth, which aren't necessarily joined up. And then if you also add into the equation, the convergence of fraud and AML, in some cases like money mules, um, they're, they're often most, they're, they're handled by completely separate divisions, different systems and different checks. So it's not at all conducive when, you can't, when it comes to detecting, preventing fraud throughout the customer lifecycle. And incidentally, this is not necessarily something that yeah, organizations set out to do intentionally. A lot of this is legacy. It's often very hard to break down. It requires investment from top down within the organization. If we were to start all over again, I'm sure there would be other ways, more effective ways to manage fraud and financial crime. For me, it's about the ability to bring it together end-to-end checks across the customer lifecycle, offering the ease of ingestion of new data uh, streams for broader uh, fraud signals, as well as existing fraud uh, data streams, but also providing that flexibility, including with analytical models. Um, we as a business have got many years of experience and expertise in this, but flexibility for, for the customer to also self-develop models or bring in third-party models as well. So now the, the question of data silos is, is a pretty large one. Uh, we're not starting from the beginning when it comes to IT. Companies have sometimes decades of IT infrastructure, which has already been built up, legacy systems, and not just that, different cultural practices within departments. I mean, people's approach to IT in the finance department might vary completely uh, to, to the HR department, but still companies have to work work together and bring all of the different departments together with all the associated together if they want to be able to fight fraud effectively. So it's by no means an easy challenge from an IT. So Freddie, if our listeners would like to learn more about Nice Actimize, uh, where would you send them? So we've got a, a wealth of content um, on a wide range of fraud topics um, affecting consumers and, and financial institutions alike. Um, our website, www.niceactimize.com. Um, there are, we've got various recordings of um, webinars, um, events, we've got blog posts, ebooks, white papers, brochures, a lot of content on there, um, and also access to, to where you can uh, uh, register for upcoming webinars and, and podcasts you might like to, to listen to. Um, we're always keen to hear from anyone who would like further information. We've got a, a section, um, get in touch on our website. Um, so do drop us a line and we'd be very pleased to help. So thanks for your time. I think it's been a fantastic conversation with lots of lots of different types of insight for our listeners. 
So I know I've said this, but thanks so much, Freddie, for sparing your time to be here today. And uh, to our listeners, goodbye. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.